up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It is our Wednesday edition. We got a lot to cover. We're going to continue our uh, our previews uh, two at a time of week three and four teams uh, this week. Uh, but we got some really interesting quotes from the coordinators today, and we uh, we found a couple that we want to talk about specifically. And here to help me do that are my dear pals first. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane, what is good, my friend? I'm doing good. I uh, just want to express my appreciation for the NFL offseason. There is nothing quite as exciting as this period where uh, no sports can happen at all with the uh, COVID-19 stuff going on. And even if it wasn't going on, this is just usually a very exciting time, you know, trying to cover an NFL team here in the middle of May because (laughs) there's so much stuff that happens. It is very easy for us to fill content in here. But I, no, I'm, I'm very glad we got to hear the coordinator speak today because or yesterday because we were at a loss for what we were really going to talk about for some of this uh, podcast for you guys. So we just got some good quotes coming from the coordinators. It's always nice to hear from them and how they're getting along with things right now. So now I'm excited for the show now, Craig. I know you're feeling pretty good because you got to hear one of your idols, Eric Bieniemy, and uh, really Dave Tope speak. So you can talk to me about that. <laughs> I mean, that's 1A and 1B on my list of coaches that I love to listen to. I do appreciate that the Chiefs are putting these coordinators, putting players, putting coaches in front of the media. It really does kind of help, you know, kind of paint a good picture of what's happening inside that building. So that's been really nice to be able to kind of pick up on some of that and learn, you know, we're all stuck at home. We're doing things, you know, way out of the ordinary to hear how that whole process goes for them as well. It's kind of eye-opening. Oh, definitely was. Uh, it's been interesting. I think uh, you heard Steve Spagnolo talk about how they're, the, the coaching staff is really trying to keep things fresh for these guys. And I heard someone mention Jeopardy. And Craig, you might be a little too old for this, honestly. Uh, but... Back in the day, when when me and Maddie were in high school, Jeopardy was like a very popular thing for like teachers like to put on a PowerPoint. I don't know if you've ever been privy to something along those lines as an educational tool, but it was legitimately the best type of type of education you could possibly get. Which which one of the two are you talking about there, PowerPoint or Jeopardy? Because both of those happened in my lifetime, buddy. That's I'm not yeah, that but- ancient. Teachers used to play PowerPoint Jeopardy. In high school, there was a very common template that went around of PowerPoint that was like a Jeopardy game. So teachers would make their class into a Jeopardy-style game to keep us interested. So you would split up into teams, and you would pick, you know, molecular whatever for 500 Alex. <laughs> and then they would click on that number, and then you would have to answer the question or somebody could steal it. It was, it was very common, and I think it probably went back to – middle school days for me but yeah it was a very common thing i thought kent was going to go into watching jeopardy and something and i have never watched jeopardy a single minute in my life no 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 this was just these were the educational tools that they'd use they'd use it on powerpoint and craig has no idea what we're talking about very obviously because he couldn't put two and two together like maddie could he invented powerpoint so (laughs) that's a good point maddie uh craig just so you know your tools being used as an educational tool uh, with with the Jeopardy game, it's it's wonderful. Okay, let's just get back on let's get back on track. We got it. We really like just sidebarred really poorly. Uh, we're gonna start uh, with a quote from Eric Bieniemy. Uh, someone asked him about pass protection. 
Uh, Eric Bieniemy gave a response about that. Well, we've we've had this discussion with him, and and you know what? Sometimes you see college kids put some good stuff on tape. Sometimes you see them put some poor stuff on tape. The thing that we do know is that he does have the willingness to block, and he understands that's a huge asset that's going to help him moving forward uh, to getting him on the field and contributing to what we do on the uh, on outside the ball. But one thing I, I will say, he does have the attitude mindset to get it done. So I'm not concerned with that. Coach Dillon's going to do a great job of making sure that he's physically prepared to get that done. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to you know, like beat a dead horse, but I really liked to hear that from from Eric Bieniemy about the willingness. And he's so right. The, the pass protection for running backs coming out of college is extremely volatile, even for the good ones. But the willingness there is so crucial to a guy's ability to do that consistently. And I do agree with him. He has the, uh, the willingness to do that. He has the willingness to do the little things to get on the field and to protect the quarterback and, and to you know have you know a complete game. I think that's really important. And the reason I wanted Craig to pull this is you know he talks about the willingness, the mentality. I think that poured over throughout the entire conversation from Eric Bieniemy about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I feel like you know they talked a lot about his you know the the makeup of the kid being able to just kind of step right in and be a part of this football team. And I think that's part of why they hope that they can fast track him is because of the mentality, Craig. Yeah, I feel like the willingness has never been a problem for Clyde. It's always been a situation where he will do whatever the offense asks of him, and that kind of takes to the field in the same way in pass protection. Uh, We discussed a little bit about how his body type isn't necessarily one where you believe that he's going to be able to pick up all kinds of rushers. Like He's never going to be an exceptional pass blocker, but he will be more than good enough in Andy Reid's offense. I liked hearing that you know, that Bienemy thinks that he's going to be able to pick it up because it sounds like, based on Bienemy's other comments, that he's going to get a lot of run. They believe that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to get the bulk of this rushing and the bulk of these reps here. They talked a little bit about Damian Williams, but most of the conversation of Bienemy was about what Hilaire was going to bring to the table. So it was good to hear that they're, you know, kind of expecting that he's going to be able to show up and at least perform well enough to be on the field in those crucial situations. And I think the overall conversation is leads you to think that like they seem very confident that Clyde Hilaire is going to be able to step onto the field, help this team out early on. They've talked about the mentality, what he brings to all aspects of the game as a running back. Just the one thing that kind of caught me off guard a little bit, and it's not surprising, I just wasn't expecting to hear it from Bienemy, was he stopped just short of ever fully complimenting Clyde's pass protection. He said he gave good effort and then just kind of tailed off into nothing. So I think you do see that there's a little bit of a hesitation to say that he's ready as a pass protector or that he's a quality pass protector right now, which I think was the beginning question. That's kind of what sparked some of this Clyde Edwards-Hilaire talk for him. 
but I don't think he was thinking he's a bad block pass protector either. And at the end of the day, the Chiefs, I think, kept their running backs in as a pass protector the least amount out of every team in the NFL last year. So while it is only a small portion of the reps, it's important, but it's a much smaller portion of the reps that he's going to partake in in terms rather than receiving or actually running the ball. It was just a fun question to hear BNB kind of go through the whole process of here's how I compliment him and then stopping just short of saying something overly positive because I'm assuming he doesn't think he's a great pass protector right now. I thought one other thing real quick and we'll, we'll move on, but I, I heard, you know, Eric Bann and me talking a little bit about all the pieces around Clyde Edwards, Alaire and how he's, you know, kind of, I don't, he didn't really call him a secondary piece, but I do think they see him as a guy that they can really maximize um, his opportunity when he does touch the football because of everything that's around him. Um, and I do think that they're just, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of easy stuff that they're going to be able to get at a higher clip when they get him in space, as opposed to a guy like Damian Williams, uh, you know, and more that, and, and more that they can, you know, there's more opportunities for them to create things for him because of, he's a little bit more versatile than Damian. Uh, okay. So we got to hear from Steve Spagnuolo as well. And uh, he had uh, some interesting comments about Willie Gay's, you know, positional role uh, potentially in 2020. Yeah, uh, first Willie. I think we'll we'll probably begin with Willie at one of the outside positions. It might he, we think, uh, without knowing right away that, uh, and we're we're hopeful, I should say that that he would replace what Reggie Ragland did for us last year. Uh, now, again, uh, I preface that, Pete, by saying we won't know that until we get them. I, I think we're a long way away from – you guys get it. I mean, they come from college into the pros, and uh, trying to get them up to speed takes a little while. And listen, look at – he loses – all these guys, all these young guys, lose out on not having these foundation of reps, whether it's mental or walkthroughs. It, it feels like, guys and gals, it feels like 2011 – when we had the lockout when I was in St. Louis and we didn't have all those guys. Now we're way ahead of that because we have these Zoom meetings. But I think Willie Gay will begin there. Whatever else we can do with them, we'll build on that. Matty, you had some interesting thoughts there. Well, first, like Steve Spagnola is one of my favorite guys to listen talk. Just, I mean, even in this situation where he's not getting to get out in front of everybody, which he's very open about how he likes to do. He likes to get up in front of crowds and talk to them, whether about football or about his football coaching style. But he's great to listen to. And I think the big thing, he kept coming back to it, and you heard it a bit there. He really doesn't know what he has with these young guys until he gets to see them in person, get them on the field. So he came back and said it multiple times just in that clip that he's not certain what they have yet. He thinks that they're kind of looking to start Willie Gay as an outside linebacker, which completely makes sense. I'm just concerned that they're going a little bit too far. This is now the second or third time we've heard Willie Gay talked about as replacing the strong side linebacker in Reggie Ragland. That's just not my favorite move. I understand it's a little bit easier to teach a guy, a young guy, especially in short time, how to play Sam than it is going to be the weak side linebacker. But I think Willie Gay learning how to play in the NFL is still going to be a superior space and coverage player than anybody the Chiefs currently have on their roster. So I don't understand curbing his learning curve at that position as a weak side linebacker just to put him on the field somewhere else is the move. Like I think you're going to be better off getting him on the field for passing downs before anything else. And rather than just wasting time teaching him how to play Sam, I would like to see him just get a shot at Will immediately because he's best suited for that out of anybody else on this team. 
I I agree with Matt. I would love to see him just come right in and play the Will linebacker role immediately, but this we've now heard it enough times and I've been saying basically since Matt House's comments immediately after the draft after you know drafting Willie Gay that he kind of alluded to maybe starting at the Sam role learning the speed learning the scheme and then transitioning over to that Will role we saw Damian Wilson do that last year a guy that was projected to be the Sam linebacker that moved to the Will and Steve Spagnuolo found a way to get him on the field and kind of cater to his abilities now Here's the thing about Willie Gay. That speed needs to be on the field. And I'm with Matt. I want him at the Will linebacker role. I also have concerns about his ability to set an edge as a Sam linebacker. One of the things that I did not like was his ability to stack and shed blocks, especially there on the edge against some longer tight ends, longer tackles, things like that. That wasn't his forte. He was better at slipping the blocks, penetrating into the backfield rather than trying to set an edge and funnel things back inside. That really wasn't one of his best attributes. Again, coverage is. So I'm very curious to see how long this takes. Again, at this point last year, Damian Wilson was the starting Sam, and Anthony Hitchens was the will. Reggie Ragland was projected to be the Mike linebacker at this point last year. And then they got into camp, saw what they had, realized that that wasn't going to work, went out and got Darren Lee and shifted everything around. And, you know, we saw what we got throughout the season there. So a lot can change. It'll just be very interesting to see how that evolves throughout the offseason. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of heard Steve Spagnolo lamenting a little bit uh the the fact that they couldn't be hands on with their guys, the fact that everything was virtual, I found that very interesting. Um, just because, you know, he's I, he he's always kind of seemed to me like a guy that really just prefers to get things out on the field. Like I do think the classroom is critical and very important, especially I think these young guys getting to to kind of catch up on a lot of things. But I think Spags was really lamenting not getting to see these guys out there moving. And maybe as things goes go on, we will be able to, you know, if he gets a, a chance to see these guys in action, maybe you know he 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 realizes that if he puts, you know, Willie Gay at Sam, <laughs> that uh, you're kind of wasting a lot of raw athleticism. Uh, yeah, I, I I'm very curious to see how that plays out. Um, all right, we are going to take a break. And we will be back with our week three and week four team profiles right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
All right, we are continuing our team profiles of the Chiefs' opponents. Last year or last week, we did uh, the first two opponents in Week One and Week Two. We move on to a very interesting pairing this week. Week Three, we'll start with them at the Baltimore Ravens. Craig, what's the quality of this roster? <laughs> Hi. The quality of this roster is ridiculously high, as opposed to last week, you know, having some shaky parts. I think that this is probably the best roster in the AFC outside of the Chiefs. Uh, just top to bottom there. They do have a couple deficiencies. There are questions about Lamar Jackson as a passer. Travis Kelsey even mentioned them this last week. But I do think that they've got a lot of really good weapons. I think their defense is very stout. I just think that this is an overall very, very well-rounded roster. I'm with Craig here. I mean, I think it's a good roster. You can look through it. And I think there's places you can poke some holes. Like, I don't think the wide receiver room is particularly scary. I think the interior of the offensive line has a little bit more uncertainty than it has in the years past. And you're not going to see any elite pass rushers on the defensive side of the ball. But, like, these are small things. And it's not like these are gaping holes. They have added talent to all of these places that I'm talking about here. Like, they've put new guys. They've went out and drafted guys in the last two years at all of these positions. They're trying to fill it with talent. They hit on more draft picks, it seems like, than any other team in the NFL. When I mean hit, like, they get good starters at different points of the draft is better than any team in the NFL, it seems like. So they have a stout roster with quality depth at a ton of positions. I just don't think it's quite as complete as a lot of people lead you to believe. I think the Saints and the Ravens are often considered the you know most complete teams in the NFL. And I don't think the Ravens are significantly more full from top to bottom than the Chiefs are. It just seems to be that's the narrative going around. But it's still a very, very good roster, like Craig said, top two or three in the AFC easily. And I think to play the style of football that they're going to play, I think it's they've maximized that roster too, though. Like, so yeah, I mean, I do. There's probably some talent deficiencies in some areas, but man, I mean, even like DJ Fluker, I I don't know if he's going to wind up starting for them. But as far as playing that run game the way they do, like, I mean, he makes a lot of sense there. They're they've got some monsters up front. Like, they've just gotten big, big on big uh, up front with you know Orlando Brown and. And, uh, you know, a guy like DJ Fluker. Uh, quality of the staff, Maddie. Uh, same thing as with the roster. One of the top two, maybe three coaching staffs in the AFC, potentially the entire NFL. Harbaugh's fantastic. Greg Roman had done an absolute elite job catering an offense to Lamar Jackson's strengths and avoiding many of his weaknesses. This I'm not the biggest Lamar Jackson fan. I don't want to turn this into a complete Lamar Jackson bashing, but I think if you watch Lamar Jackson play against good teams, teams that really threaten the Ravens on the scoreboard, you see his limitations, whether that's New England last year, the Chiefs the first time around, the Titans in the playoffs and they got behind. Like There are clear limitations, but what Greg Roman's been able to do for that offense so that those limitations are not as prevalent to the fact that he could run away with the MVP last year was absolutely phenomenal. And I think everybody knows how good Don Martindale is. So like, don't need to go too far into that. But I mean, th their coaching staff's right there rivals the Chiefs, hands down. I love Don Martindale. I love what he does on, on defense. My goodness. I, I I believe, I don't remember if this was after last year or the year before that Patrick Mahomes played him, and basically it was 
they throw everything at you. Like this is this is the toughest team to game plan for because they just throw the entire playbook at you at any given time. Now, we know that Andy Reid likes to protect stuff and not burn stuff. Steve Spagnuolo is of that same mindset as well. Don Martindale and Greg Roman are just all out. They are going to hit it hard. John Harbaugh is a gambler. He will go for it on fourth downs. It just there's a lot to like about the aggressiveness of this staff. They don't stay, save stuff back. So in week three here, you're going to get this staff, you know, kind of rolling at its best. I'm really curious to see what Greg Roman's uh, offense looks like in year two. I'm fascinated. Uh, by how you know what kind of evolution this thing is going to kind of experience, um, you know, because I do think you know teams have had all off season to look at what the Ravens did last year, and I mean they're going to have a plan for it. I do like the fact that the Chiefs are playing them a couple weeks into the season though, because you're going to get a couple weeks of of tape on this group on what kind of wrinkles uh, the Ravens have included into you know what they did last year. I'm very fascinated. All right. Uh, new addition, Craig. New addition, Patrick Queen. You guys know how much all Ugh. three of us loved, loved, loved Patrick Queen. And in week three, he's going to be the guy to watch for them. We know that L- at LSU, he struggled to get on the field a little early in the season. But by the end, he was kind of firing on all cylinders. Is he going to have Don Martindale's defense down? Because he is an electric playmaker at the linebacker position there. I am thankful that the Chiefs are seeing them early because I think a lot of those young pieces and a lot of the additions that they made on that side of the ball are going to take a little time to come into their own. So seeing them in week three is going to make things a little bit easier on the Chiefs. Kent, why don't you go ahead and jump in next? Because I got quite the Maddie answer coming up. So I want I want you to go ahead and go. I, I mean, Superstar gets to go first, of course. I kind of wanted to guess the Maddie answer. Um, guess I'm going to go with Derek Wolf. Um, no, I, I can't. I'm going to go with Derek Wolf. Uh, Derek Wolf was added to this roster. Uh, he hates the Chiefs. Hates them. Uh, there are plenty of quotes out there about how much he hates the Chiefs. And so he wasn't being able to he wasn't able to do much of anything lately with Denver trying to beat the Chiefs. So he's trying to join up with the Ravens to try to try to beat up on them. Uh good luck, buddy. Uh but he's a, he's a good football player. Uh and you know, he's had a really solid career. He's kind of an underrated guy. Um and uh, I th- look, they've loaded up on defensive line, and I'm pretty. There might be a couple that we'll talk about here when this thing's all said and done uh, on this on this little exercise. But they've really beefed up their defensive line. Derek Wolf, I think, is a guy that could ultimately be a really nice signing for them. And this kind of, and he was part of my answer because my answer is more of a philosophy than a single player. Everybody talks about how smart the Ravens are for drafting, and they're the analytics darling of the NFL. Has anybody paid attention to what they've done this offseason? They added Can't Rust the Pasher, Derek Wolf. They added an aging Calais Campbell, who's still a very good player, but are we going to consider him an elite pass rusher anymore? No. They added two run stoppers to play on their defensive line. They drafted a defensive tackle in Justin Matabuke, who I think is very good. He's a quality football player, but he's not an elite pass rusher on the interior. Matt Judon's not an elite one-on-one pass rusher. They added Malik Harrison to go with Patrick Queen. Last year's defensive line pick, Jalen Ferguson, again, not a pass rusher. They've loaded up to stop the run in the AFC when they have to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Excuse me? 
that was your strategy. Oh, and on top of that, you let your best offensive lineman go or he retires. So no big deal, but you don't really replace him. But then you draft a running back in the second round. So like your plan is to run the ball and stop the run to beat the Kansas city chiefs. Like what, what are you doing? Like I like your moves in the off season of the individual players, but your team building strategy is as backwards as it can be. And nobody wants to talk about it because they have Lamar Jackson. We're just going to pretend like adding five, 300 pound run stoppers in one off season is a smart move. I just, I don't get what they're doing in terms of trying to build a roster to win a super bowl. No, they're team expecting, is- they're expecting that secondary to cover for six seconds. And they're very good, but they are expecting a long coverage. Right, and they had one of the absolute worst like one-on-one pass rush win rates in the entire NFL. They just had an incredibly effective blitz package, which they're still going to have. Don't get me wrong. I just I don't understand their strategy of only adding more second-level or third-level players, and the defensive line guys they added are just run stoppers. Like it's just it's a very weird strategy for no one in the NFL media world to be talking about why they didn't add anybody that affects the pass besides Patrick Quinn. Oh, it's interesting. It is very interesting, uh, and it's coming from the analytic starling. I mean, there's some there's some analytics analytic uh, kind of leader leaders that just tout them as our ravens. Well, speaking of our ravens, our player to watch uh, for me it's J.K. Dobbins. I'm very interested to see what the plan is for a J.K. Dobbins if you know the the Ravens utilized a early pick on him. Um, I think he showed promise as a pass catcher especially later in the season um i think he was kind of like a little like a tier below all the other um high-end running backs but i still think like i i don't feel i think you know late two for him was about right um but you know i'm kind of curious to see their plan for him uh within the running game and by week three we should have a decent idea I will be very interested to see just to tag on to kent's thing real quick there what are they going to do with justice hill like they needed hey, to get he's him replaceable. They needed to get him the ball more. He's electric with a ball in his hands. I would have liked <laughs> to see it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, would be uh, smart my, to play him over Dobbins. Oh, my player to watch is Matt Judon because Matt Judon is the only player on this defense that I feel like is going to hurt Patrick Mahomes potentially. Like no, legitimately he hurt. is legitimately hurt on purpose. Like not like try actively trying to take Patrick Mahomes out. So I'm keeping an eye on him at all times. Chip him, do all the work you can to make sure that he doesn't come within like a 4 foot radius of Patrick Mahomes because I'm frankly terrified that he might take his helmet off a la Miles Garrett and try and beat Patrick Mahomes with it. For me, it's, I guess, the battle of the Bens. Ben Powers, I think, right now is listed as the starting guard, but Ben Bredesen was just drafted. They also signed DJ Fluker. So one of these guys is probably starting at right guard, replacing Marshall Yonda. And then you still have, you know, left guards, Bradley Bozeman, who's not great, but not a weakness. Same thing with Matt Skirl. Like The interior offensive line is not as strong as it looked last year with Marshall Yonda. And for the way this offense fo- functions, for this offense to be good, their offensive line has to 
dominate on some of these run plays. If you're just getting adequate blocking from this group in place of Yanda and what they had last year, that offense could take a huge step back and really force them into some unfriendly territory like they had in a few games last year and make Lamar Jackson play a little bit more traditionally if you're just not able to replace what you lost with Yanda. So I think that's something to keep in mind as this season goes on. They did lose a Hall of Fame level right guard last year from last year. All right, let's move on to week four. And Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are coming to town. Tom Brady is not coming to town, and uh, he will not be ever again unless – well, no, he won't be ever again because by the time this comes back around, Tom Brady will not be playing football. I I will be stunned if that's the case. Uh, They'll be going to to Tampa later in the year, but we'll get there. Uh, What's the quality of this roster, Craig? I have no idea what Bill Belichick (laughs) is doing right now. They have seven tight ends on this roster, and they drafted two back-to-back in round three. They did not address the running back position. They still just have Sony Michelle, James White, and Rex Burkhead. So... I don't know if we're just going to see 23 personnel on the offense because Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, Mohamed Sanu, Marquise Lee aren't anything that's going to scare anybody in this league. They do still have a good secondary, but their front seven's a little bit of a mess. Like, there's some decent pieces here, but frankly, the talent level of this team is lower than even we've come to expect from a lot of Bill Belichick teams on paper where you look at them and you say, well, what's happening here? And Bill figures out a way. He may still figure out a way here, but it just seems like it's an even further step back from that already low bar. Yeah, the offensive side of the ball is just downright disgusting for this team. I mean, you're looking at Brian Hoyer or Jarrett Stidham starting at quarterback, and then Sony Michelle has been just a ghost of his college self since that knee injury zapped any of his ability to, to change his direction. And Kill Harry didn't look anything special. Like the offense just does not look good on paper or when we've seen them on the field. The offensive line isn't terrible, but I don't think they played as good last year as we've come accustomed to from a New England Patriots offensive line. And then when you flip to the defensive side, outside of just the secondary, I don't see where the big high-level plays are coming from. And I guess for the Patriots, that's been something that hasn't kind of been the case since they traded away Chandler Jones, is you don't have any elite players besides Hightower. And I don't even know if you could say he's elite for sure, but like he's been your best player in the front seven. But it just seems like they have a team full of Jags across the front seven to go with the secondary. And part of their plan must be just to mix it up confuse other teams and that worked very well last year you can never count out what Belichick can do with these guys but looking at this roster like I don't see how anybody sees a team that's going to win more than eight games yeah I mean they the Patriots basically brought back their entire offense except for Tom Brady they hashed their hashtag running it back without Tom I wonder if there's some bill shade proving a point Ugh. I don't know Maybe there is. Uh, I don't think the overall quality of the roster is particularly great. But the truth of the matter is I'm there's just a high level of respect, fear, and uh, belief that they're still going to win a lot of football games. And that's because of the quality of the staff, Maddie. Well, 
We're going to find out the quality of this staff because Bill Belichick <laughs> has lost his crutch as Tom Brady has gone to Tampa Bay. So we Ooh. will see what Bill Belichick can do without Tom Brady for the first time since, you know, the Matt Castle missing the playoffs years. And then you got to go all the way back to almost two decades ago to see Belichick without Tom Brady. Like, I don't know what we're going to get. I think Bill Belichick's still the greatest coach of all time. I don't think he's just going to all of a sudden become terrible. I just do think Tom Brady hid a lot more flaws with the Bill Belichick persona than I think people realize. I think Bill Belichick has been one of the worst team builders in recent years, and it has been covered up by being a good coach and having the greatest quarterback of all time. I think this year you're going to see some of that come back. You know, you got to pay the piper eventually, and I think this might be one of the years where Belichick just his flawless you know resume starts to show a few more blemishes. I think it's funny that people bring up the Matt Castle year as, see, he could do it without Tom Brady. That team had a good offensive line, had Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez on the team, had Julian Edelman, Chad Ochocinco, and Wes Welker as his weapons. That's a far cry from what the Patriots have right now. And we'll see what happens with Brian Hoyer. We'll see what happens with Jared Stidham here. But the biggest loss I think that this Patriots team had is losing Dante Scarnecchia here. Their longtime offensive mm. line coach retired in January. He helped them out through the you know combine process and all this, but he left. And so they don't have one of the most rock-solid pieces of all this. He kind of made magic out of a lot of offensive linemen. And so we're, you're kind of counting on Josh McDaniels to draw stuff up correctly and Bill Belichick to call an almost flawless defense here to help him out they'll still probably win a bunch of games because they are a great coaching staff, but it's taken a further step back than I think that people realize. Just a quick correction so you don't get yelled at. That Matt Castle Patriots team did not have Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, but it did have Wes Welker, Randy Moss, Kevin Falk, Jabbar Gaffney, and Ben Watson. He was throwing to the second-best wide receiver of all time, the best slot wide receiver of all time, one of the best receiving running backs of all time, and still quality tight end in Ben Watson. It's not like that team was hurting for talent around Matt Castle. That's my bad. I, I was off a few years. That's my bad. I, I, for whatever reason, I was in 2011. Unacceptable. 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 I can't let Listen, Randy kick me off of the pod. I'm done. I'm done. Well, thanks for letting me get my... Uh, quality of staff takes off there uh new edition let's just go ahead and move on to new edition <laughs> well new edition for me i i'm very curious to see what they do with josh uche uh that's a guy that i think went a little higher than some people expected i he's a good pass rusher we'll see they got him listed as a linebacker right now we'll see how he drops into coverage for bill belichick there he might just be a rush linebacker but i'm very interested to see he's one of those types of pieces that bill belichick gets the most out of you know that and so i feel like that's kind of an ideal fit for belichick a, a true weapon up front there. And they're going to need some because they need to replace some of the pieces that they've lost. I'm really curious what UJ does. For me, it's going to be Devin Asiasi, tight end out of UCLA. He was one of my favorite tight ends coming out of this particular class. I think he actually showed a full three down potential, the ability to play, you know, on running downs and passing downs. 
I think the Patriots surprised a lot of people by taking him in the third round over some other guys, but he, that's right around where I think he should have gone given the class and the way things were falling. They are going to use the heck out of tight ends this year. I mean, just look at their receiver group. You don't want those guys on the field, so you're going to play anybody at tight end over, you know, Marquise Lee, Mohamed Sanu, and Keel Harry, Julian Edelman too. So Devin Asiasi is going to have plenty of opportunities, and I think there's a chance that he has a pretty good year for a rookie tight end. I guess we're all just going to go draft picks because Bill Belichick really didn't add much of anything this year. Uh, I mean, I guess we could go with Demir Bird, but uh, how about Kyle Duggar, uh, a guy that they took uh, early in the second round? I think he went top 40. Uh, real fascinating player. He's got a lot of flexibility. He's a really good athlete. Um, some people thought he could have been a running back, too. Some people think they can turn around and hand the ball off to him. I don't think that's going to happen, but... Uh, kind of fascinated to see his role. He's a little bit of a positionless player um, that I think that, you know, Bill Belichick is a guy that's been able to do a lot uh, and move guys around. And I think Duggar's just another fantastic piece for him. Really, uh, you know, really like that addition. Uh, player to watch? I think we have to go with Jarrett Stidham, right? Assuming he wins the job. I mean, maybe Brian Hoyer is the guy which would say a lot about Jarrett Stidham, but... I think we got to go with Jared Stidham. You know, we really haven't seen much of him in the last couple of years. I think I had a fourth round grade on him in the 2019 draft, um, but it's there's really not a ton about uh, uh, there's not a ton on him from his time with the Patriots. Uh, I I think he's best in rhythm. I think he's a rhythm thrower. I don't think you want to get him you know, off his spot or, you know, off schedule even remotely because I think things have broken down for him in the past. But I think, you know, there's some promise if you can keep him in rhythm. And I think, you know, the Patriots have been really good about that over the last few years. Yeah, and I can I don't know if you remember this, but sitting in your house during the 2019 draft when the Patriots took Jarrett Stidham, I believe you, Jake, and I all three said, well, there's Tom Brady's replacement, just jokingly. Yep. Yeah, yep. and look at where we are. So my guy that I'm <laughs> gonna, you know, kind of pay attention to here is going to be Joe Juan Williams. Um, I love Joe Juan Williams coming out of the draft last year. I thought he had a top tier athleticism. I thought he was going to be able to contribute. And when Bill Belichick took him, I went, "Oh man, that's a perfect fit." Like it really is. They're going to maximize him. And he couldn't get on the field. When we were at the Senior Bowl, our buddy Brad Kelly talked to us a little bit about him and said that, you know, basically he just was struggling to pick stuff up. That he wasn't, you know, he was more of an athlete than he was a football player. And he just wasn't able to get on the field. And what he was, he didn't look good. So I'm very curious to see what Joe Juan Williams brings. I know that's a guy that I really liked. And if he just can't climb the depth chart after this season... I'm definitely looking to kind of snipe him off the Patriots squad at some point in the next offseason. I was also going to pick Jarrett Stidham, and I have a lot less hope for him than I think uh, Kent does here. And I think it's really weird that there's all of a sudden this... Wait, define hope. You, you <laughs> think there's a chance. There is no chance. No chance Jarrett Stidham is good at football. <laughs> like This weird thing of like, the media pushing out now that the draft is over and now that the big name besides Cam Newton quarterbacks have been signed that all of a sudden, Oh, Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. Jarrett Stidham's the answer. You white and see like, 
wait a second, like you guys, nobody believed this before the draft. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to leave it. Just believe it because just because go back and watch Jared Stenham play in college guys. He is not a good football player. It was really bad. He's not going to all of a sudden come out and throw to Muhammad Sanu and in Keel Harry and be a good guy. But I'm going to, I'm going to go a different route. We're going to go chase Winovich just because I am certain that if he was an inch taller, 10 pounds heavier and arms were an inch longer. He would be a Kansas city chief because we apparently love Michigan defensive players. And then he would fit a all three instead of missing all three of Steve Spagnuolo's kind of preferences at defensive end. But I think he's primed to have a big year. They need some talent out there. Chase Winovich showed some flashes last year. I think this could be a little bit of a miniature breakout year for him just because, and he looks really good in the Patriots uniform. He fits their mold of kind of defensive players over the years. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for the Wednesday edition of the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory. Be sure to check out the AP Editor Show tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday with the mailbag. We'll catch you later.